Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science, some scintillating science for you. Science. I'm looking at the word that starts with C. Anyway, I don't know what that would be. Maybe we'll come across that in this episode. It is another half hour of Lost in Science for your ear holes. And my name is Chris. As usual, I am joined by Claire. Hello, Chris. And Stu. Hi. And boy, howdy, do they have some amazing stories for you today. Claire, what's going on in the skies? Well, um, interesting that you say the skies because this is another bird story, but it is one of my favourite kind of bird stories because it marries together um, birds, um, obviously, uh, conservation and genetics with um, some... Uh, weird uh, sex stuff. And by sex stuff, I mean uh, chromosomal sexes. So this is about um, a bird, which is the largest bird, um, the Californian condor, the largest bird in the northern, uh, in the northern part of America, America, in North America. And um, it is about to go extinct. Um, but they have found that it can actually reproduce something that's called parthenogenically, which is, you Is know, that like it spreads diseases? That would be pathogenically. Oh. Parthenogenically is um, it doesn't require a mate or a father to have offspring. So it's sort of like an asexual reproduction. So I'm going to talk all about that and what that means um, and there's some really interesting stuff to do with sex chromosomes of birds that that um, that that I want to get into as well. So, so when when you said weird sex stuff, it's more a weird lack of sex stuff. It is. It so is. So people shouldn't be concerned. There won't be any condors doing it in this story at all. Unfortunately, no. We'll leave that for another day. Well, that would be that would be part of the problem that caused them to notice the the parthenogenesis. I think. Well, interestingly, that is not necessarily the case. But no. anyway, we'll, we we will go on. We will we will get into it. All right. Well, looking forward to your weird animal story now, Stu. Do you have a weird animal story for us as well? No, I've just got a story about bird-brained humans um, doing <laughs> doing ridiculous things, uh, which sound vaguely scientific, but actually have no real effect on their health or will certainly not the effect that they think they have. I'm going to be talking uh, a little bit about the alkaline water fad that seems to be sweeping the, the wellness communities around the world. Um, what is is, still going? Yeah, apparently so. And um, I'm going to just be looking at, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of famous people who swear by their alkaline water. I'm going to talk a bit about why it's, Probably not all that useful thing to do. Uh, and and um, some people in particular who might get singled out for, for 
negating any possible effect that it might have. So um, if you want to find out which famous person is spreading around this goop, you'll have to listen in to the story later on. Right, yeah, like they, people do use uh, something that sounds scientific and complicated, but really it's pretty basic when you get down to it. That's a PH joke, isn't it, Chris? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have we know our audience, Claire. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we have Weird Science coming at you from left and right here. So let's get to it. On with the show. Okay, so you've heard of the birds and the bees, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Your parents might have sat you down and had that conversation with you. It is very confusing, on. though, because I kept expecting <laughs> the birds to come out of the beehives, and I, I would, I, it was very confusing. Very confusing. Yeah. Well, what if I told you there was a lot more to the story of birds and bees than even you would have thought as a young man, Stu? Um, and, in fact, we now know that one particular bird... Um, you know, it does not even have need a mate to have an offspring. So maybe you've heard about it before. It's called parthenogenesis. Um, it's a Greek word and it's Greek for virgin creation. So that sort of sets your mind to another type of virgin creation or an immaculate conception, I'm sure. Um, But this virgin creation, uh, what actually happens in nature is it's when an unfertilized egg develops into an embryo and a new life form is produced from that, from that one unfertilized egg. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rare in the animal world, but it, it, it can happen. Um, have you ever heard of it before? Are there any, any animals that you've ever... Aren't there some, I feel like it's something associated with lizards. Yep, there are some lizards. It's certainly... Some geckos. Certainly uh, a lot more common in the insect world. So aphids, it's very common for them to be yeah. able to uh, parthenogenically reproduce. Mm-hmm. So you can have, you know, you go out and you look at your roses and you've got one aphid and then come out a couple of days later and there's 500 aphids but they didn't all arrive from somewhere else. They've just reproduced parthenogenically from this single aphid. Oh. So it does happen. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, it does so, happen. Um, so if there's a bird doing it, I imagine it's going to be a bird that has a huge population numbers. It's going to be something that is just <laughs> that is, everywhere. You would like think so. You would think so. Um, starfish can do it. Um, yeah, but like you said, Chris, there are some lizards, but it is quite rare in vertebrates. So... Some birds, some lizards. And this week it's been described in a new animal species. And unlike, you know, your common rose aphid and and what you're suggesting, Chris, it is not a common bird. It is the Californian condor, uh, which is one of the most rare birds in the world. So, wow. uh, yeah, it's an incredible bird, by the way. I don't know if you've ever seen or um, heard a vulture I mean, sorry, a condor, but it is a type of vulture. Yeah, they look like they had that bald head, don't they, like a a vulture? Yeah, yeah. And they are massive. So uh, the Californian condor is the largest flying bird in North America. Um, And as a side note, the population of the Californian condor nosedived 
to just around 22 individuals in 1982. So it really was, um, you know, butting up against that sort of brink of extinction. Mm. And um, it led to the development of a really successful captive breeding program that's been um, that's been developing and raising chicks and growing the numbers in the population. And this week they published something, um, this group of researchers out of the San Diego Zoo, they published something that was quite unexpected about that the path that the Californian condor can reproduce parthenogenically. So the researchers from the San Diego Zoo, they found out after doing genome testing of all the animals, because, you know, when you're in a captive breeding program, you need to know who's mating with who in the zoo, so to speak. So you have to do rigorous genome testing to make sure you're maximizing your genetic diversity. Um, and they found out that there are two male chicks uh, who are fatherless in that all of their genetic material comes from their mothers. And this has happened on two separate occasions. So they have two separate mothers and all of their genetic material comes from their mothers. So this was a jaw-dropping moment for the scientists as it hasn't been observed in this species before. And of course, you know, they are an incredibly endangered species. So, you know, quite interesting. But it's also really interesting, I think, from a genetics point of view, because it gives us an insight into genes and sex chromosomes and how birds differ from, you know, humans. So let's go through, um, you know, why this is so fascinating. Okay, starting... this, is, this is like so many questions here, so many questions. <laughs> I know, right? So starting, let's go back to the start. Let's go back to sexual reproduction, <laughs> the chicken or the egg. Um, sexual reproduction, I mean, it's the cornerstone of us vertebrates, isn't it? Um, mammals and, and other animals with a backbone. Normally it requires an egg from a female to be fertilized by a sperm from a male. So each parent contributes one copy of the genome to create, uh, you know, the genetic material that is contained in all of your, the cells of your, of your body, except the sex cells. So, because normally we have like two copies of every kind of chromosome. Yes. And, um, but in each gamete or like egg or sperm has like half that number. So it's got one copy. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, but of course these fatherless condor chicks, um, they violate this rule, right? They, um, they don't have a copy from a father and a mother. They just have one single copy that's been repeated so uh -huh. so the question here that i have is in humans we have females who have two copies of female chromosomes, X chromosomes. two, two yep. x chromosomes yep. males have an yep. x chromosome and a y chromosome and that's what makes yep. them male where did yeah. the Y chromosome come from in these male <laughs> condors? I know, right? That is the question. It is very confusing. And I have to point to uh, Professor Jenny Graves, who has done an excellent conversation article and written all about it. Um, you know, she is, if there's... Um, uh, she knows everything there is to know in the world about sex chromosomes and um, especially in marsupials. But let me just tell you what she says about it. So, yeah, um, 
in birds, parthenogen, parthenogenesis always results from an egg cell carrying a single copy of the genome. Um, and normally an egg cell and a sperm cell fuse, incorporating both parents' genomes and restoring the usual number of chromosomes. Um, but in parthenogenesis, the egg cell is not fertilized. Um, instead, it achieves a regular, usual double, double state by either fusing with another cell from the same division or by replicating its genome without the cell being divided. Um, so, yeah, so rather than getting one genome from the mother and one from the father, the resulting egg only has a subset of the mother's genes in the double dose. Um, but like you were saying, Stu, what the hell is going on with the birds? Um, because for any parthenogenic reproduction in birds, it will always be a male offspring. Um, and that is because... Birds have the opposite sex chromosomes um, to humans. So like you said, females have two X chromosomes, male have an X and a Y. Um, so if in some other universe humans could like reproduce parthenogenically, the offspring would always be female, would be XX, because we would have two copies of the same X chromosome. But condors are like other birds and all other birds. They determine their sex with a Z and a W sex chromosome. And in birds, the males are always ZZ and the females are always ZW. So for the female Californian condor, she will always produce an egg that either has a Z chromosome or a W chromosome. So if the, when the magic of parthenogenesis happens, um, then what will result will either be an offspring that has two Z chromosomes or it is an offspring that has two W chromosomes. Now, the two Z chromosomes is viable and that creates a live animal, but the two W chromosomes, um, that's non-viable and they die. So... Um, in conclusion, thank you, uh, Professor Jenny Graves, all fatherless chicks must therefore be ZZ males um, and you can't get any sort of female parthenogenic birds, um, which is what was observed in this species. So is this, and coming back to my kind of aphid analogy or Sue's aphid analogy, I suppose, is this perhaps an adaptation to try and expand their population, like a desperation when they can't find a mate or, yeah. you know, population numbers are low and flip a switch, essentially. Yeah, it's it's been observed in Komodo dragons that haven't had a mate um, and have sort of, you know, last-ditch effort to pass on your genetic material. You reproduce parthenogenically. Um, but it turns out that, uh, you know, the fatherless chicks of the Californian condor, um, they're actually quite sickly. They have really low immune um, resilience, they have developmental problems um, and that's because you know they don't have that sort of rigorous sexual um, hybridism like the rest of us do they have two um, repeats of the same chromosomes which which means that um, any sort of uh, you know any, any carriers any illnesses, yeah. and, and illnesses that they might be carrying um, become apparent 
We have two copies for a reason, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sexual reproduction is successful for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> or a couple of reasons, I don't know. Um, so we won't, yeah, we won't be pulling funding and support for the captive breeding program just yet. Um, but how wonderful to know that there's this added complexity of the Californian condor and makes you wonder what else we don't know about the birds and the bees. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Over the last couple of years, we've seen the impact celebrity opinions and advice can have on people's behaviour, especially in the area of health and well-being. Um, The so-called wellness industry puts forth the simple idea that people can have a huge amount of control over whether they get ill or not, uh, but not a great deal of that thinking is based in any way on science or is it scientifically tested. Um, Now, of course, eating a healthy, balanced diet is a good start. Drinking enough water, not drinking too much booze, getting enough exercise, they're all good starting points for staying healthy. But they're a baseline because anyone can get sick at any time from a variety of things over which they have no control whatsoever. So, you know, we've got viruses and bacteria of all kinds everywhere in the world and no matter how much organic broccoli you eat, you're not going to avoid coming in contact with them uh, unless you live in a bubble and don't have any contact with anyone or anything or breathe the air. Now, one of the things uh, the wellness industry love to push are simple solutions. So they're often based on developing the habit of doing something every day as a routine and this activity will keep you healthy. Uh, And more often than not, this involves eating or drinking something every day, usually, not surprisingly, something you'll have to pay for. And also, it also gives, I think, you know, if if you have a daily habit, it gives people an explanation for when they do get ill. Oh, I forgot to take Uh, my, mm. forgot to take my magnesium powder or I didn't squeeze a lemon into a, you know, tablespoon and drink it or you know whatever it is i didn't do that that and then i got sick so therefore it works which is pretty um questionable logic but there you go it 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 explains uh how people can get sick when they're supposedly so naturally healthy now i know one person in particular gwyneth paltrow has gained a lot of media attention for her opinions and associated products she sells which she claims keep her healthy um and i'm sure it helps to be incredibly wealthy in a country where people have to pay for all of their health care themselves uh to have lots of money probably means you're more likely to be healthy than people who don't have lots of money now something gwinnie has promoted is drinking alkaline water which is a pretty common pseudo health trend in that well i say it's a pseudo health trend it doesn't really help with much of anything at all there's a bunch of theories about what it does for your body and how it's gonna change your metabolism and all these sorts of things none of it's really based on anything but probably a misunderstanding of how the body works in the first place i think um now i saw an article the other day where uh Gwyneth Paltrow went even further and explained she puts a squeeze of lemon 
in her alkaline water when she drinks it every morning. <laughs> and this should sound suspect. Okay, that's good. Yeah. To, to anyone who has even a little bit of understanding of chemistry. So I thought I would just say, what is alkaline water? So alkalinity is sort of the opposite of acidity. Um, in reality, they're both measuring the same thing, which is the pH of a substance. Uh, acidity is at one end of the scale of pH and alkalinity is at the other. Now, if we think of water, which we know chemically is H2O, that is, it has two hydrogen atoms for every oxygen atoms, for every oxygen atom, um, that's true in pure water. But in reality, water itself can vary a lot. In its liquid form, the H2O molecule, which we're taught is how water exists, actually separates into single hydrogen atoms, which we call hydrogen ions, and hydroxide molecules, which are an oxygen and a hydrogen atom bound together. So it doesn't... But not all the molecules, not all the molecules separate. No, 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 but they're, they're sort of a, a mixture of the H2O, the hydroxide and the hydrogen ions all sort yeah, of mixed yeah. up together. And to us, it all looks the same. There's no way of telling it apart unless you measure it in some way. But when you've got equal numbers of uh, hydrogen atoms and hydroxide molecules, we have pure water, which has a neutral pH or a pH of 7. When they're out of balance, we get different pH levels. The more hydrogen ions present, the lower the pH gets, which means it's getting more acid. The more hydroxide, the higher the pH gets, which means it's getting more alkaline. So below 7, we have acids. Above 7 are bases or alkaline substances. Now, things other than water can also have a pH because uh, we're actually measuring hydrogen ions. So there's got to be hydrogen in the substance because that's what we're actually measuring with the pH. But it's not just water that has a pH. Just in this case, we're talking about water. So, um, you know, that's why that's what alkaline water is. It's got slightly more hydroxide ions than it does hydrogen. Uh, sorry, slightly more hydroxide molecules than it does hydrogen ions to bond with them. Um, but back to Gwynny's alkaline water lemon juice cocktail. The claims around alkaline water that it alters the body's pH are, as I said earlier, they're complete nonsense to begin with. The body remains homeostatic at all times. Balancing pH is absolutely necessary to maintain human metabolism. So there's a complex uh, series of chemical reactions that keep our pH, our internal pH, stable. So no matter what we eat or drink, our pH in our blood and in our tissues remains the same all the time. Varies very, very little. If the pH in our bodies changed even slightly, a lot of metabolic processes would be disrupted or completely shut down and it would not take very long at all before we just died if our, if our bodily pH changed. So the idea of changing your body's pH to stay healthy is, is quite an odd concept. That's not necessarily the case, though, for your stomach's pH, which is an incredibly acidic environment. And, you know, you can take antacid tablets and those sorts of things. There's the... Um, you know, the chemical reaction there is to sort of neutralize the acids in your stomach. So even though your, 
your whole body pH might not differ very much, there are sort of ways that you can sort of neutralize acids in your in your tum tum, though, right? Well, that's true. But if you are, if you talk to a physiologist, they will tell you that the stomach is an external surface in the human body <laughs> because it is actually, right, yeah. it, you know, the, the yeah. digestive tract is a tube that goes all the way it's, through. Uh, yeah, and it, yeah. you know, the internal body is is sort of beyond the stomach. So this, yeah, obviously the, the digestive system relies on different pHs to what we have in our tissues and in our bloodstream. Mm, um, and certainly yeah. the stomach is a very, very strongly acidic environment and we need it to be that because it's got to basically melt down all of our food and try and break I always it thought it was interesting with the alkaline water stuff, how, yeah, you, you're having this slightly alkaline water into your body and it is somehow going through the, the intense acidic environment of the stomach and changing everything. Um, yeah. Doesn't make much always, sense, does it? Doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, no. that, that's the big question is if, you know, your stomach's supposed to be very acid. If you pour a bunch of alkaline substance into your stomach, you're diluting its acidity and making it less effective at what it does. And in fact, that can lead to, um, you know, digestion problems if your stomach acid is not acidic enough. Um, so uh, the other thing is when you drink alkaline water, the mildness of the alkalinity in, the, in this alkaline water, if you drink a strongly alkaline substance, which we would call also, <clears throat> also known as a caustic substance, like caustic soda, for example, is strongly alkaline. If you drank something that was caustic, it would burn your mouth before you could even swallow it. It would cause serious damage before it even got into your body. If it was at the same sort of level of alkalinity as your stomach is acid. So anything that was as strong as your stomach acid uh, would would be very painful to consume in the first place. But anything weaker just gets neutralized. As soon as it hits your stomach acid, it just gets neutralized and it's no longer uh, alkaline. It will combine with the excess hydrogen in your stomach and become a, a weaker acid effectively. Um, so stomach acid's very, very strong acid, uh, and, and the mildness of this alkaline water is no match for the acidity of your stomach, which is the first thing it'll come in contact with. So it's not even going to get anywhere. Um, the other, the other thing, obviously about the, uh, the mixing of lemon juice with alkaline water is that lemon juice itself is what, 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 what does lemon juice taste like? What flavor is it? It's sour. It's very sour. It's very sour, which indicates to us that it is, in fact, an acid. So she's acidifying her alkaline water, which is probably going to neutralize any alkaline effect. So she's, in effect, drinking very, very expensive, pure, plain water, which has the same health benefits as the much cheaper tap water you can get in your kitchen, probably. Um, so look, I just wanted to. I just, I just saw this little thing that she was squeezing a little lemon juice in her alkaline water. I just thought, what, let's let's just have a little investigation into why would you do that to your alkaline water? It surely would negate any effect. But also, the alkaline water itself has no benefits, uh, no health benefits that anyone's ever been able to demonstrate scientifically. So, you know, maybe if you like the taste of it, keep on chugging it. But otherwise, 
um, just stick with the tap water and you'll be fine. And that's it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded for 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And it airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We would love you to get in touch with us. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook where Lost in Science on 3CR or on Twitter where we're at Lost in Science 1. You can find us on your favourite podcast app where if you get the chance, please give us a good rating and review as that will raise us up in the search rankings so other people can find the science. Or you can listen to us however you listen to us now where at the same time every week, Claire, Stu and Chris get Lost in Science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.